Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 305. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 305 you're listening to. My guest today is Anne-Marie Plow, who is an engineer and theatrical sound designer, and you might recognize her name because she just so happens to be the editor of the Working Class Audio Podcast. That's right. So every time I do an interview, I ship it right on over to Anne-Marie. She does her round of magic. She sends it back to me, and I assemble the show, and... Voila, you have a show. So she plays a pretty uh, monumental role in the show and has since episode 220 with Butch Vig. So she's she's been with me for quite some time now. Really happy to have her with us. So Anne-Marie Plo coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about the beginner's mindset. So to start this rant off, I'm going to tell you what that means to me and how I approach it. And it may differ for you. And it also might coincide with the uh, open mindset concept that uh, Carol Dweck talks about in her book. To me, it's, it's keeping a mindset that you might learn something new from someone else when presented with information about a topic you may already know a ton about. Maybe you have a lot of experience with that particular topic. Let's take audio, for example. I've been doing audio professionally since around 1994. So I know a thing or two about audio, but when I encounter information from somebody about it, I try to keep an open mind that I might learn something new or gain a new perspective about that particular topic. And it it could be a wide range of topics. We all know that there's many rabbit holes we could go down. Let me give you a specific example. Former WCA guest J.J. Blair has been on Instagram doing some videos that address topics like microphone polar patterns. Having done this since 1994, I already know that information. However, I watch the videos and keep an ear out for any little tidbit of information that J.J. might present that could open my mind up a little more, get me to think about that topic a little differently. That's, I think that's probably the clearest example. So I try to keep that mentality as best I can. I'm, I'm far from perfect when it comes to this, but I try to keep that mentality with most things I encounter from an information perspective. And it doesn't matter that I've got a certain amount of experience. I always feel like there's something I can glean from that information. And to me, that helps me stay fresh with, with certain topics or certain disciplines like audio. So why is that kind of mindset important to me? Well, I'll tell you, it's important to me because at the age of 50, I do not want to and refuse to become the old grumpy audio dude cliche. You know, I don't want to end up thinking I'm the smartest person in the room because I, you know, I have so much experience or whatever. I don't want to do that. It's just, I, th- I think that's boring. I think that you stagnate when you do that. And I think that those that do, become dinosaurs and get left behind. It's more about just keeping a fresh perspective on something that I truly love. When you become the jaded, road-worn, 
veteran that has nothing to offer but complaints and about, oh, how things have changed and it's just not the same. It just, it gets old, it gets boring. I don't like being around those kind of people and I certainly don't want to become one of those kind of people. So to cap all this off, I'm, I'm going to relay a story about a very famous person within our audio world that I have had the experience of meeting and interacting with. I don't know if he'd ever remember me, but somebody very smart. Uh, I'm talking about George Massenburg, and my experience may differ from other people, but here's my experience. I was at a, a potluck audio conference or a tape op conference, and I was on a bus, and I think we were going to a restaurant. I think there was a big group of us going to a restaurant, and I think we were on like a charter bus or something. George Massenburg was sitting behind me. I think I said something offhand to somebody next to me about surround sound, or we were, we were talking about some particular issue, and out of nowhere, George Massenburg's head pops over the seat, and he jumps into the conversation with us with the enthusiasm of a teenager, with some great suggestions and just some thoughts about what we were talking about, but just really kind of bringing some new ideas to the to what our conversation was. That's my memory of George, that interaction and how there was no pretense. We're talking about the guy that invented parametric EQ here and has done some, some fantastic sounding records and is just well known in general. No attitude whatsoever, just pops over the seat Hey guys, here's something to think about in all of that. And nothing like, you know, you whippersnappers don't know. Let me tell you how it is. There was none of that bullshit. Somebody with a ton of experience and who's had a great track record brought that beginner's mindset, that enthusiasm to the table and was willing to talk with us about it and exchange ideas. I think that was around 20 years ago. That event really stuck in my mind. How George was able to just overhear part of a conversation, jump in without being offensive, without being condescending, without being demeaning, and bringing some great ideas to the conversation and willing to not only entertain our questions, but also hear ideas from us. And I'll be honest, I don't recall every element of that conversation. I just remember walking away from that going, wow, that guy, for being as experienced as he is, is a super nice guy who's got some great ideas and I'm really happy he stuck his head over the seat to get into the conversation with us. So I don't care how much experience you have, keep an open mind, stay enthusiastic, don't get bogged down in the, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, X amount of years, I know better than you kind of concept. Keep that outlook with not only audio, but life. And who knows, you know, I'm no expert, but maybe you'll live a little longer. Maybe you'll have a deeper appreciation for, for what you have or for what this world has to offer. Anyways, that's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. 
I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out, and if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Anne-Marie Plo here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I think it's a little bizarre for both of us because for the audience, if you don't know, Anne-Marie edits the podcast. Yes. We should go to the beginning, but we should also kind of put a little context around this. I met you twice, I realize. I met you once at an AES show or an AM show, one of the shows. In fact, I think I was interviewing uh, Brad Wood the first time. That's right, yeah. I met you again because you were working with Michael Rosen. I came in to do a session, worked with you, immediately thought, this person has the exact temperament and, and thought process that I think is a good fit to edit this show. And I've never found anybody like that yet. That's the context of that. Yes. Tell me about your audio journey. Where did that begin? It's kind of two parts. When I started out, I pretty much have been into music and audio all my life. When I was a little girl, I was this weird kid who 
when I was nine years old, I would look at the backs of albums. And, you know, if it's a band, like my favorite band is The Cars, for example. And I would look and see, oh, this Roy Thomas Baker is their producer. So I'm just going to listen to everything that he does, you know, that I can get my hands on. I would look and see things like, oh, mastered by George Marino and things like, and for some reason that was like kind of fascinating to me that it's not just a band putting an album together. Even somebody like, if you're listening to a Roy Thomas Baker or or a Mike Shipley or a Mutt Lang, you eventually start to hear their sound on different albums going from, for example, the Cars debut album to A Night at the Opera from Queen, that layered vocals, big, big sound. You know, you can hear that on everything. And I just kind of picked up on that and just thought that was super cool. I didn't know how I did it, but <laughs> I thought it was it was pretty awesome. How old were you when you were when you were looking at these names and putting two and two together? It started when I was nine. So I'm a kid of the eighties, you know, I watched a lot of MTV and I wanted to be in a band really early on. When I was nine, I was trying to get people in a band together with me, even though we didn't have any instruments and nobody really cared. And I started writing music when I was in junior high, even before then, actually, I did. I started writing music. There was just something about music that spoke to me right away. I got really into the audio side. I got a four track for Christmas when I was 14, um, which actually I still have. Check it out. I actually still have my Fostex X26 from when I was 15 years. It does not work anymore, but I can't throw it away because I just, I have so many good memories associated with it (laughs) (laughs) and bad memories because I was terrible at recording myself. So that was my kind of my early interest in audio. And I went to school as a music major, started out as a composition major, then switched to general music by the end of it. Still continue to be interested in that. Got out of music for quite a long time. And then my journey in audio picked back up again. When I was out here in San Francisco for a couple of years, I saw that Chabot College had an audio class. Michael Rosen was the instructor. Mm. (laughs) I just got this catalog in the mail and thought, you know, it's just something that I kind of failed at previously. And I it just always kind of bugged me that I didn't do music for a living and all that. It was something that bothered me. And I was like, something's nagging at me. I have to take this class. I have to write this wrong. So I took his class, had no intention of even really getting back into audio as a career. It was just, I wanted to prove to myself I could learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, once I started doing it, I fell in love all over again. It was like this little thing that was quieted in me, like woke up again. I remember my first day of class, I sat in the back of the class and I was like afraid to say anything. And then slowly but surely I was like, okay, I'm going to start asking questions. I'm going to start doing stuff and taking notes. And it just kind of took over. And eventually in the second semester of that audio production class with Michael, I told him I wanted to be his intern. And I said, yeah, I'd really like to be your intern. And what do I need to do to make that happen? It all kind of went from there. And he he eventually brought me on as an intern. You you mentioned failing prior to that class. What do you, what do you mean by that? Was there another class you took? Was that just unfinished business in your past? It's a little bit of both. I went to a more traditional kind of music school. I went to the University of Arizona. And I'm a self-taught musician. A self-taught musician, I don't really think, has a great place in a more traditional institution because of that kind of conservatory style of 
learning and music. It's more classically based. It's a lot more performance-based. I was not a performer. I'm not a classical performer. I'm, I'm, you know, eventually I learned it. I am actually classically trained in voice. I was self-taught in piano and it was, I was just so behind everything other than theory. I was really good at theory and really good at ear training. But when it came to the actual performance, I was not that great. I did manage to get through. I passed all my juries and I had a decent GPA and all that stuff. But one of the classes that I wound up taking was a recording class and I did terrible in it. Now, it was quite different from Michael's. It was a class where we never spent time in a studio, but they were teaching us studio techniques, you know. And I think it was mainly because it wasn't hands-on. It just wasn't clicking with me. And I really struggled with it. So there's that piece of it. And then the other piece at that time was when I was in college, I actually developed really bad depression. It wound up kind of creating this anxiety about music. Music used to be something that would make me feel better and relax me. But because of the pressures of you know, performances for grades and playing with other people who are like way better than me. It actually really got to me. I wound up developing stage fright and I got really depressed. And once I graduated, I just, I couldn't even do music. I mean, it's not just that like the anxiety mm. shut me down. It was also just my my depression actually really shut me down and I, I couldn't write. I couldn't sing. I couldn't do anything. And so I just kind of stepped away from it for a really long time. It's something that I loved all my life, but yeah, just it, it just completely, I shut down basically at that point and I couldn't do it for years. Getting back into Michael's class at Chabot, you take that, th yeah. you kind of have a reawakening. That was audio. Yes, it was still music. Did that feel like a compromise to you? No, because I... I always enjoyed doing the audio stuff and I felt like I just, because of that one recording class that I took years and years ago, I felt like I had no aptitude for it. And even though, and I always thought I wanted to do it. I mean, when I was little and and recorded, my, you know, I made my own music and things like that. I would, <laughs> I would actually write on the tapes produced by Henri Plo. Mm -hmm. Like I just like a total dork, you know, I was really into that side of things. Yeah. So it just felt like a unrealized dream, I guess, you know, it just kind of bothered me that I didn't get there and didn't really give myself a good shot at it. Did a transformation take place for you in, in that class? It did. It really did. So I was working full time, even though I was working remotely for a healthcare company. And I'd been working in healthcare for almost 20 years or something like that. It was like, I was an operations manager. I did like data analysis and stuff like that. It's a living, whatever, but I didn't really feel passionate about it. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed parts of my job. I enjoyed working with people, but I didn't really feel that passion. Being in that class and actually creating something or touching a console and understanding what it means <laughs> was amazing. A switch flipped in me, and I just was very excited to do it again. We're not talking a matter of a couple of years here. We're talking about a large number of years before this class. This class was preceded by almost 20 years of regular nine to five work. Yeah. And then something occurred to you to go in and take the class. It was just seeing the class, you know, Sometimes when you're confronted with something that you don't like about yourself, you kind of just get this feeling in your gut. If it's telling you to run away, that means you need to run towards it, I think, sometimes. That creates a, a whole new set of problems, yeah. really, because you're in this routine of this other gig, and now you know, oh, now I have this other possibility. So what do you do with that? 
Now, fortunately, at that point, since I was working remotely, I did have a lot of flexibility in my hours. I did have to work full time, but if I needed to do a session or something in the middle of the day, I could just work at night or something. So I was working full time for the first couple of years of my audio career with Michael and my other jobs that I've had. That was working out pretty well for a while, but it did get to a point where I decided that I was able to quit my job and go full time into this. Were you able to do that because you'd been smart with your money? A little bit. I mean, obviously, there's part of that. I've always been more of a saver than a spender. So I did have some money put aside. And also, to be quite frank, like most of us, I have an awesome spouse who, (laughs) you know, can support this. You know, honestly, that helped a lot, too. We had that kind of cushion for me to explore this. The ever so supportive spouse factor. Definitely. Well, so you go into this full time with Michael interning or assisting. What was the progression of all that? Maybe about a year or so I interned with him and then it just kind of became a, hey, uh, you know, would you want to sit on the on the session or I, can I pay you to do this? And, you know, so it, it just kind of evolved into more of a, a professional role. Did you see a change in how you felt about yourself and your own view of your own role in the world? I gained a lot more confidence. I mean, not too much. I was never like, I've got this and put my feet up and whatever. I mean, you're constantly running around and trying not to look like a chicken with its head cut off, but feeling (laughs) like that way on the inside. But I did feel like I gained a lot more confidence in what I did. And it did get to the point where I thought, hey, you know, I've got something to say too, and I I can do this. I know I know this, or I know I can learn how to do it if I don't know it already. It was kind of like a whole healing process in a sense between how I felt in the past about my ability to do this. I mean, it, it really I really proved to myself that I could. Like former WCA guest Sarah Carter, for example, Sarah started audio later in life with some adulthood underneath her belt, as have you. So did coming to this a little bit later give you a leg up, so to speak, do you think? Absolutely. So I compare my my young self to my older self, and I've always been a hard worker, but I'm a lot more focused now, for sure. And I think you can get that with somebody who's a little bit older. I mean, when you've been through things and you've experienced life and you've had ups and downs and trials and tribulations... Ultimately, you learn how to be the best version of yourself and you and you know what your weaknesses are and you know what your strengths are. And you can take that into a, a situation and make it better. I know how to outwork people. I know where my deficiencies are and I know how to work harder to move past them. And that's something I've learned over time. You know, thanks to years of working in an office and stuff, I know the importance of showing up on time and being ready to go. I'm not going to take anything for granted. And I think that's something that I did when I was younger. And I think a lot of people do when they're younger. They may not realize that you only get so many chances to prove yourself. Yeah. Interesting. Certainly the adult aspect of it really would inform somebody who's coming in late. Just, you know, Doing all the things right that that most younger people tend to forget, you know. Oh, sorry, I overslept, and yeah, you know, not showing up on time. And there's there's like a humility about it too, like in a good way. Where I think a lot of us are kind of cocky when we're young. 
I mean, it's it's nice to have some swagger. I think every every good engineer and every good producer has a good amount of swagger, but you know, you don't want to be cocky. You don't want to act like you know better than everybody else around you. That's not a way to get a gig. That's not a way to ingratiate yourself to people. And I think that's something that you learn as you get older. So obviously you finished the program with Michael. You've been working with Michael now for a while. Uh, you've been through studio changes with him, but you've also diversified. You've you've filled yeah. in the gaps. I mean, I hired you. You've been working at this church with an old uh, high school friend of mine. Yes, who, who, your ex bandmate Max Butler, who uh, <laughs> is the musical director at this church. Yep. In the Bay Area, and are and plus, I think you're doing some theater stuff. Yes. Yeah, I, I also do, uh, for Chabot College, I also do all, pretty much all of their sound design, a lot of board ops when we did have board ops, when, back when there was live sound, uh, for their theater department. And right now, for example, I'm working on a lot of their online offerings that they're doing. They're about to release some scripted podcasts that the students made over the summer, um, kind of like old time radio shows. And my job in it was to write the music for their theme songs and things like that, which was a lot of fun and mixed down. So they all recorded themselves. I had to take that audio, clean it up, mix it down, add sound effects, all of that. So that's about to be released. And then in the fall, they're also going to be doing some uh, online performances as well that I'm going to be doing sound design for. So they've pivoted and I've pivoted along with them to go to an online format until they can go live again. Have you had a strategy since you got into this of how to get gigs and how to manage the the unpredictability of it all? Yeah, it's pretty much say yes to everything and every kind of audio job that there is and eventually you'll find your niche. You know, I, I can love recording bands in a studio, but that's not something you can do 40 hours a week, I don't think, for most, unless you're huge, <laughs> you know, unless you're a really big engineer at a really big studio, you're not going to be working 40 hours a week in a studio or more recording bands all the time. You have to be willing to do other things. So just any opportunity I had to learn something new, I'm going to take it as long as it's in audio. So I say yes to Chabot's theater department and doing the sound design. I've said yes to live sound. I've said yes to worship sound. And it's really just helped me really diversify across the board. So when one thing goes away, I have a bunch of other stuff in my back pocket that I'm, that I'm working on. Being that you have this past experience, money handling, being just being an adult in in a regular job situation, have you applied that knowledge to your audio practices? Yeah, I would say so for some of it. I would say my business sense has helped me out a lot. I mean, obviously, my top priority is when I'm choosing a project is do I love doing this? You know, I mean, that's obviously number one, but I do kind of estimate, does this make economic sense, like what I'm doing right now and, and what I'm spending money on? Does it make sense for me to buy this gear? Am I going to be using it? You know, so I do think in that sense, that business sense and that economic sense uh, has helped me out a lot. I also think that my sense of organization comes from my work experience from the past. I am an Excel freak. <laughs> I take copious notes, as you probably noticed when we worked together on the big band project. Oh, like, yeah. 
You know, yeah. I I take ton, I make tons of checklists. I do all sorts of things just to keep everything visually very easy to follow. I just keep everything super organized. So whether I'm the head of a project or I'm assisting as you know an, an assistant engineer, that somebody can look at my stuff and say, oh, okay, this makes sense and this is easy to follow. So that organization definitely comes from work, old work. You and your husband currently live in Alameda. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And for the uninitiated non-Bay Area person, Alameda is uh, part of Alameda County. There used to be a naval station on Alameda yep. Island. It's an island in the Bay Area. It's by Oakland, but our recent text exchange or or Slack exchange that we had really took me by surprise where you revealed to me that you're going to move to Hawaii. Yeah, I am. You're going to move to Maui. Uh Number one, I'm extremely jealous. And number two, (laughs) where did that come from? That That seemed to come out of nowhere. Chris and I, my husband, Chris... We, we've been, we've loved Hawaii for a very long time, and in Maui in particular. And he's always had this dream of, oh, someday we're going to move there. And and I kind of held back on that, especially because I love doing audio so much. I, I'm not ready to give that up, even now. Then this whole COVID thing happened. And I feel kind of like a lot of people, I think a lot of people are reevaluating their lives and their goals a little bit because of this whole lockdown and the pandemic. And for me, part of it was some of my favorite things to do are theater work and live sound, and that's not coming back anytime soon. So it's like, okay, well, I'm pivoting to these online things and more remote work, and I can do that from anywhere. And I also just wanted to be somewhere that is a bit more literally physically more open, you know, where you have a little bit more of a yard and you can breathe fresh air you know, which has been a huge problem for us in the Bay Area lately. Yep. The wildfires honestly have really gotten to us. I mean, I deal with some asthma issues and, you know, it just hasn't been fun. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you just kind of reevaluate your life and the goals of your life. And I realized, you know, I can continue doing what I love and still be in like Maui, but I can still do what I love and come over here to the Bay, back to the Bay Area if I have a a larger gig or something like if I have a, a session or something, I can always fly back and work on it, you know, for several days or what have you. But a lot of what I do, I can just do from wherever. That's interesting. And why Maui? Why not some other tropical location, you know, like <laughs> Mexico or I don't know? Well, I wanted to stay in the States. Um, okay. You know, that's that's a big part of it. And also, I don't really know most other <laughs> wonderful tropical places I've never been to. I mean, I've been to um, like Cabo, but again, I wanted to stay in the States. And there's a decent amount of infrastructure in Hawaii that you may not have in other places. I mean, obviously they still have some challenges, like their uh, healthcare system is pretty limited. Going back to my healthcare job, we actually worked a lot with unions on Hawaii. So I'm very familiar with like their health, their healthcare system there. And you know, often they do have to air vac people to Oahu from other islands, or in some cases, they have to bring them over here to Stanford or UCSF for major surgeries because they just don't have the infrastructure there. But that said, they have more of an infrastructure than, say, um, like the Virgin Islands or U.S. territory. You know, there is like some basics that you still have, and it's only a few hours away from California by flight, so not too bad. So it just it just seemed to make sense kind of starting something new without going completely into the unknown. We've been going to Hawaii for 
since like 2007, I think was our first trip there. And we've gone there quite a bit. So we we really know the culture. We love the culture. We understand all the pros and cons of living in, in Maui, basically. So it just seemed to make sense. It's We're not, we're kind of not going in it blind. You know, we, we yeah. really know what's going on. So interesting. And you're, uh, you're selling your house here eventually. Yeah. And then buying a house there. Yep. Wow. That's yep. exciting. Well, so as we had discussed in our in our uh, Slack exchange, I told you, you know, Bob Rock lives there. Yeah. And ha- has a studio, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, there's obviously some sense of audio there. Yeah. So what what's the plan? So my plan, um, in addition to doing remote work, like obviously I'm going to continue working with you and... I'm hopefully going to continue working with Chabot because a lot of what I do at Ch- with Chabot's theater department is can be done remotely. You know, doing the sound design and stuff I can do remotely. At the very least, they're going to be doing an online model for a while, I think, because what's the point of, of having a show if you can't have more than 25% capacity? I mean, that's financially, that just doesn't make sense, you yeah. know, with, with the current the current COVID stuff. So I will be continuing that. But one of the things I'm looking at is kind of creating a mobile studio where I can go and just, you know, work with people. And my goal is to capture a lot of Hawaiian culture and music. I've been kind of thinking about this and I'm still kind of working it out in my head, but just really offering my services on a sliding scale, actually, to anybody who's really promoting Hawaiian music and Hawaiian culture, like any aspect of Hawaiian culture through sound. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, your traditional Hawaiian music, which is super cool and I'd be happy to do that, but it can even be like, for example, I'm uh, talking to uh, someone right now who is in a Hawaiian punk band and I'm likely going to be mixing some music for them. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Cause it's, and their music is kind of um, like traditional Hawaiian, but punk. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's super cool. It's really different and has kind of like a surfer kind of sound to it too. So just finding acts like that and being willing to, to mix for them or wherever possible, if I can capture them in the studio, you know, I would love to do that. I really want to further the kind of celebration of Hawaiian music and Hawaiian culture. And I figure what better way to do that than through something I know, which is audio. That's a great plan. What a way to uh, get ingrained into the culture of where you're going, but also to focus an anchor point, so to speak, of, of audio when you land. Yeah. That's interesting. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app 
And I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. I assume you'll be taking a bunch of stuff with you. I am so nervous about that. Like, I am so nervous about getting all of my gear out there. My initial thought was to go on the plane and take my, take, put everything in like road gear cases and stuff. And everything I've read says, do not do that because sometimes like people will see like a gear case, like a road case and just be like, oh, well, that must be expensive. And then you never see it again. Like, this is literally like what I'm reading a lot about all of this. So I've been super nervous about getting it all out there. It sounds like what I'm going to have to do is some stuff I can probably just bring on the plane with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, stick my Apollo in a, in a carry-on, hopefully, and, you know, bring that over. But like my, my keyboard here, my my console, like I have a Midas uh, M32 console for right. live sound. I'm going to have to ship that. We are going to ship some of our stuff out there. You can do that. It just, it's pretty costly. Yeah. But UPS, we're just, FedEx, DHL, right? I think there's actual companies that do shipping. Like mm. literally they, they give you a little thing that they put in a shipping container and bring it out there for you. My husband is actually going to ship his car out there. I'm going to get rid of mine and just get a Jeep because we need something that can off-road and stuff. But but yeah, like he's shipping his car. Yeah, it, it's this whole ordeal to get gear over to the to the islands. <laughs> or you could fill the car up. That's not a bad idea. Instead of hiding drugs, you're hiding audio gear. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, so beyond the local involvement with audio there, do you have a plan to try to have a strong online presence so that people will reach out to you, you know, online? That is something that I am definitely lacking right now. It'll be a challenge. If we were to compare the younger Anne-Marie who worked in the world of healthcare versus the older Anne-Marie who is now working in audio, are we talking about two different people entirely? Have you changed to a point where you don't want to go back? Well, I have changed to the point where I'm I'm never going to completely go back to healthcare. Now, I will say, I'm actually, I still do some consulting in mm-hmm. healthcare. So in terms of diversification, I am actually doing one completely non-audio thing. So there is a little piece of me still, you know, getting my hands in that on occasion. However, I'm never going to go back to it full time because this is just something I'm fully steeped in now. It's work that I'm proud of. 
I did a good job in healthcare, but when you know when you meet people and they're like, "Oh, what do you do for a living?" Normally, and old Anne Marie would be like, "I work in healthcare. It's 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 like a boring job. Don't ask me about it." Like <laughs> I was like very disengaged with it, but now it's like I'm an audio engineer. I make records. You know, like it's just something that you're more. It's more a part of you. It's, you're telling somebody something about yourself, like a piece of yourself. That's something I love. I'm passionate about it. While I appreciate everything I've learned over the years, it's I'm kind of only looking forward. Music is everything. Audio is everything to me right now. So, do you have any fears about your your new adventure that you're about to jump into with Hawaii? Yeah, I'm worried that I'm gonna that all my gigs are gonna dry up because actually, since I started interning with Michael to now, I've been really busy. I really haven't had any downtime, and it's it's at the point where at times I do have to turn down certain certain gigs and stuff because I just know I can't commit to a bunch of different things. And I'm worried that once I'm out there, I'm afraid I'm not going to have the problem of having too much work. <laughs> So I'm, yeah. I'm worried that it's going to eventually dry up a little bit. Will your husband keep his job? Oh, yeah. He works in tech, as many people do in the Bay Area. And his company has made the decision to allow everybody to work remotely going forward. Pre-COVID, we're all on the treadmill, right? We're all just kind of doing our things, moving forward. And we might consider making subtle changes, but take you, you and Chris, for example, moving to Hawaii, I'm sure has been on his mind for a while and, and or your minds, and you have discussed it, but there, you know, to make that move is, it's monumental and it takes yeah. great change. And then COVID interrupts and it really changes so much for so many people. The fires, of course, as we've talked about here, I totally am with you there. It's like, the COVID aspect I could handle, but then you'd top it off with some smoke yeah. and you can't go outside. Because you can't even go outside, yeah. And then it's just like, okay, what what are we doing here? This is not working. It is interesting how it's taken this monumental shift in humanity to get everybody to reconsider, uh, you know, uh, employers reconsidering where people can work, how they work, and then where you live. Do you think there's, there's going to be a certain aspect of your new life that will be based around more leisure, more living than, you know, trying to hustle and work all the time? I kind of hope so. Um, <laughs> because I, one thing I will say, like, you know, I know you talk about work-life balance a lot and my work-life balance is so out of whack right now just because I am taking everything I can, you know, and I'm constantly doing stuff. So going back to a little more leisure and enjoying just the downtime, it would be amazing. Like I am hoping for that. This is actually something I've learned when I worked in healthcare. So early on, I was kind of a workaholic, <laughs> worked crazy hours. And one thing I learned was that you need space to be able to be creative and you need space to think. So when you're working all the time, that creative part of your brain isn't quite turned on. And you need that time, you need that downtime, whether it's just relaxing on a beach and just watching the waves flow or whatever. You need that open space to, for your brain to just kind of explore and create. You have to open up your brain a little bit. You have to open up your mind to let that happen. And you can't do that if you're working 24 seven. What can I say? I'm, I'm, I'm envious, you know? And I, can't, and I can't say that I haven't been online looking at, you know, real estate in other parts of the world, other parts yeah. of the country going, hmm, what if? Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting conundrum. Maui is not exactly a cheap place to live. 
and housing is not exactly on the cheaper side, uh, unless yeah. unless I'm wrong about that. Um, it can vary. Interestingly enough, you can get a bit more bang for your buck there for housing than you can here. Well, that's um, a, no surprise. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I uh. mean, it does, and compared to California, it is more expensive in some respects. Like, obviously, groceries are insane over there for anything that's not on the island. Anything that has to be shipped in is crazy expensive. But overall, it's not that bad compared to here. I would say it all probably almost breaks even between the two because you're paying less for housing, but more for groceries and insurance probably and stuff like that. Not only do you have the change in shifting to audio, but you have a change in where you're going to live. And that gives you an opportunity to kind of clear the slate, start over in some respects. Is there anything different that you're going to do? that you haven't done before? I know one thing that we're going to try and do is uh, be a little more self-sufficient. Uh, and this is, uh, maybe it's a little less on the financial side and more on the environmental side. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting thing that a lot of people don't consider with Maui is they have issues with things, for example, like abandoned cars, because once you sell your car, if, if, or if your car dies, where are you going to put it? There's no landfill. There's nothing. I mean, so they actually have a huge issue with abandoned cars just lying around randomly in places and also like garbage and things like that. So they like, where are you going to put it? These are issues that are pretty prevalent on the islands that we've never really thought about before. You know, you take for granted being on the mainland and if you need to get rid of a bit like a big piece of furniture that has a hole in it or something, you could just call the you know, garbage, you know, your garbage service and they'll sh- you know, haul it off for you, but mm-hmm. they don't do that there. There's, you don't have that option. So a lot of it, you have to be more self-reliant and more, more conscious about what you're consuming and what you get rid of. That means, you know, consuming more in bulk. So you have less trash. That means, which is also financially, you know, it makes more sense too, because it's usually cheaper. For all the consuming that you do, you're leaving something behind when you buy like a new car or a new appliance or whatever. Basically, you have to be very mindful of the environment. By being mindful of the environment, you're actually also saving money because you're consuming less and wasting less. You know, we're hoping that we can grow some of our own fruits and vegetables and save some money that way. So it's it's all about just conserving, I guess. Now, how does that pertain to audio gear? I think my plan for purchasing gear has changed greatly since I've made the decision to move out there. And also, again, because of COVID, like I was um I was on the path to buy a lot more live sound gear before all of this happened because I was getting a lot more live sound gigs. And, you know, I'm again, I've scrapped that plan because who knows when live sound will come back. <laughs> but for now, I'm just really looking at it. Like I have a bunch of mics. I've got some mic stands. I've got my live sound console. I've got my Apollo. So kind of my plan is to kind of create this, you know, record on the road, remote recording thing, just get a nice basic small uh, gator rack with my Apollo, a couple distressors, and like maybe like a Grace preamp, like the Grace M108 or something like that, just something that simple, and then live off of plugins (laughs) beyond that. So I'm not taking up too much space. For example, right before the shutdown happened, I did a gig where I had to record a children's choir at an elementary school. So it was like, okay, just grab my Apollo, grab my laptop, get a few microphones, and I just recorded something for someone. 
I suspect that's going to be where I can find the majority of my work is going to different schools or going to uh, community centers or whatever and, and making, turning a community room or an auditorium into a makeshift recording studio. So I just want to make sure I have all that basic gear. And I mean, worst case, if you need something, you just order it. Yeah, exactly. And really, I mean, how much do you need at this point when you think about it? I mean, everybody gets more over time. <laughs> I mean, you can't avoid it. You see something you love, you're going to buy it. And I, I love microphones. I'm sure I'm going to just still go crazy with buying awesome microphones. But it's going to be very driven in, is this microphone something I can use on multiple different instruments? Like, is this a multi-purpose microphone? And that's really how people should be thinking anyway in this day and age. I mean, we don't all have and limitless income, I mean, and limitless savings. So every gear piece of gear that you buy has to have multiple purposes to it. You know, it has to sound good on everything. It can't just sound good for this one thing, unless that's your specialty. If you're a voiceover person and, you know, you buy a mic, you know, an RE20 or an SM7B, even those mics are, are versatile. One thing I guess you're going to have to consider for everybody you work with is the time zone difference. Because yeah. what, Hawaii is like two hours behind the West Coast? Three hours, three, yeah. Three, three hours. hours. Wow. So that's six hours behind the East Coast. East Coast, yeah. And my family's on the East Coast, so that'll be interesting. It will be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wish you luck. I think it's going to be great. Thank you again for coming on the show and uh, shedding shedding some light on the person behind the editing. I am sorry for all the editing you're going to have to do to this. That's okay. <laughs> and for the audience, I'm going to edit this yeah, one. Because I will never speak again if I hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> You'll spend way too much time on it. I will. <laughs> like, oh, what am I saying here? Yeah. All right, Anne-Marie. Well, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Take care. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Anne-Marie Plo here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Want to thank the crew. Want to thank Anne-Marie Plo, even though she didn't edit this particular episode. Got to thank her anyway. Want to thank Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme song and Mr. Chuck Smith for his magical voice. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, 
and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. 